So one of the games I like to play with Pastor Tim when we're sat in our study is a game that's called Would You Rather. Have you ever played this? It's good fun. Would You Rather is a brilliant game because you can, it's a great conversational starter and it's about asking questions that have got no right or wrong answers to them. And you can have some real fun with it. So I hope you try this tomorrow morning in work and uh, we'll have a little game of it now. You can be really weird in your questions like uh, this one. Would you rather be a ninja or a pirate? That's an interesting one. Don't answer out loud. Don't want to embarrass you, but, you know, Helen has already said she'd rather be a ninja. I, I, would, I haven't got time this morning to explain what a ninja is, but you get the idea. So, you, you can be a bit more nondescript, so here's one that uh, I particularly like. Would you rather eat at Nando's or Frankie and Benny's? Yes, I'm banned from Nando's by my family. That's an illustration for another sermon, another day but I'm not allowed to go there. Uh, you can be a bit more deliberate. So you could ask somebody, would you rather be rich or famous? That's an interesting one. Here's another one. Would you rather be a leader or a follower? The genius, I think, behind these often very simple questions is that a person's answer will very often reveal something about them. I mean, you can have fun with it, as I've illustrated, but when you start to ask some other questions like this one, for instance, it might actually give you a bit of an insight into what makes them tick, how they understand themselves, how they feel they're wired, what their passions are. So it's a great icebreaker game to play, and it's in those situations at conferences and stuff that very often I've played it. The challenge is, though, coming up with some questions that are fairly balanced. You see, I, I've got to be honest now. I think you women are brilliant at this sort of thing. Guys, let's be honest, we're not very good. Because if I had my way, the kind of questions I would always ask are the kind of questions I ask Tim, which are, would you rather burp confetti or sneeze glitter? I'll be truthful with you. I say to him, would you rather burp confetti and fart glitter? But I thought that would be a bit rude. <laughs> what would you rather do? Would you rather eat ice cream or get really, really bad sunburn? See, guys, I think, see, a lot of you guys now, you're smiling because this is a, there's a competitive streak in us. And it's like, you know, which one are you going to go for? Women, I think, you know, women, fine. You, you are great. This is fundamentally the difference between men and women. Again, that's a different sermon you need for another day as well. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Would you rather? It isn't a, a new idea. It's not a new concept. It's not something that's turned up on the internet. It's been around a long time. And as odd as it might sound, God has been using this would-you-rather stuff really from the very beginning of time, from the beginning of humanity. Would you rather live your way or my way? That's essentially the question being asked as you look at Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And he's been using this again and again. Would you rather 
live a life of status quo, same old, same old, simply just surviving in the same rut? Or would you rather live a wild adventure of faith following Jesus? Now, I'm sure God has a preferred answer, but the wonderful thing is about the God we worship is that He is gracious enough to allow us the freedom to choose what we'd rather. So, the question is always there in front of us, isn't it? What would you rather? Some of you have been Christians a very long time. Some of you are struggling in your faith. Some of you are new to the faith. Some of you are still exploring it. We all have this question in front of us. What would you rather? Which way would you rather live? This morning, I want to ask a very simple question, and yet it's a very profound question. And it's a question that really has been mulling around in my brain for a little while. Would you rather be a Christian or be a disciple? Now, don't think that I'm a heretic here, for goodness sake, all right? But I think this is a very legitimate question. I think this is a very, very important question for us to consider. Would you rather be a Christian or a disciple? One of the reasons that I'm asking this question, really, is that over the last few months, I've had numerous conversations with people, not in the church, but outside, who have weird ideas about what it means to be a Christian. And I have been perplexed at their understanding of what it means. And I got to wondering, could it actually be, if we were to have a conversation about what it means to be a Christian, we might also get some weird ideas? Because I do think there is a big misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian, and I want to challenge that, therefore, by asking, okay, would you rather then be a disciple? Very often when I'm talking to non-Christians, I don't talk about being a Christian. I talk about being a follower of Jesus. I want to make sure that I get into the conversation the guy who's changed my life. That they won't be confused that in some way, just by coming to a box on a Sunday and being amongst other Christians, that kind of affects my life. I want to talk about Jesus with them. And that leads to some fascinating conversations. I think, for many of us, being a Christian kind of connotates that we believe certain things that we believe those things, and therefore, well, we're a Christian. But I dare to suggest to you that's a very superficial understanding of Christian. And consequently, it's created huge difficulties because we have a lot of Christians who don't look anything like Jesus or resemble his teaching, and so the word Christian has lost its meaning. The world is totally confused. Look at the way the world is confused about the word love. The word love today, that's an interesting word. Years ago, you would say, I love my wife. Now, I love donuts. 
Well, yes, of course you do. God bless you. Voila. You know? I love Strictly Come Dancing. God bless you. We pray for you. I love reading. I love a chick flick. I love Greg's. I love sunsets. I love films. I love hamsters. I love the remote control. I love Radio 5 Live. You know, I love Jesus. We, we kind of lump it all in together as if it all, yeah, we love, we love. And so it's lost its impact. And you really have to qualify it so much these days. Can you imagine if at home I told Sarah all of the time, I love you. Where are you? I love you. Not you. Behind you. <laughs> I love you. And I lived like a pig. That would create a bit of a problem in her mind, wouldn't it? And it would create a problem in your mind. If you saw me living a life full of arrogance and selfishness and just getting on and doing whatever I want, and then I bumped into Sarah and went, oh, I love you. Ta-da, I'm off. <laughs> that doesn't go well. Because we understand that actually behind the word, you, you've got to qualify what you mean by love. You've got to demonstrate something. You've got to show in action. The same is true with the word Christian. It's so weakened, it's so misunderstood it only gets real definition when it's qualified, when it's explained, when there's action behind it. Do you know, for instance, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament, and it's never defined. And the term that people who followed Jesus in the first century used to describe themselves with was quite simply that they were disciples. That's how they were understood. And disciple is a terrifying term because it's so clearly defined in the Bible. Christian, yeah, Christian, you can be a Christian and believe a wide range of stuff. You can be a Christian, apparently, and a Methodist. What? You, you can be a Christian and be in the Church of Wales. You can be a Christian, and as you and I all know, when you watch a television... It's amazing what Christians get up to, do, and believe. The difference between a Christian and a disciple is simply a Christian is about what one believes, but discipleship is about what one does. Another way to look at it could be a Christian can often become an act, whereas discipleship is always an action. A lot of people act like Christians. They come to church, they sit in their pew, they pay their little amounts into the offering, they're faithful in attendance, and they do things. Please don't misunderstand me, but that is very often how they define their Christianity. Sometimes they act as a Christian or assume they're a Christian because they're, well, they're not a Muslim, or they're not an atheist, or they're not a Buddhist, or any other ist. Or they think that they're a Christian because they were born in the United Kingdom, or better still, Wales. And we are good nonconformists in Wales, so of course we're Christians. Well, fine. 
I guess if you drink coffee at Costa's, then you're a skinny Frappuccino. <laughs> what would you rather be? Would you rather be a Christian or a disciple? I've heard some use the word apprentice to describe discipleship. I, I love that description, actually. An apprentice is someone who follows in the way of his master teacher. Regan, my future son-in-law, has completed his apprenticeship to be a carpenter. He's had to learn certain things working alongside other skilled craftsmen. He's had to go to college and be taught certain things. Skills have been passed down to him. Modern-day apprenticeships now, we're talking more and more about this because we understand that there are skilled people who need to pass down their knowledge to a younger generation. You're an apprentice until you've learned the craft really as good as the master teacher that you're working under. Would you consider yourself this morning to be an apprentice of Jesus? Think about that. Jesus is the master, and you're the apprentice. I love that imagery, as I said. It's a great way of thinking of discipleship. Because as a disciple, my apprenticeship with Jesus is never going to be over. My apprenticeship won't be over until my life is indistinguishable from that of my master. And one day in glory, that will be true. You might know from reading and from things you've picked up over the years, that the early uh, followers of Jesus were known chiefly as followers of the way. This appears to mean that the early disciples had chosen to live their lives very, very purposefully in a different way from the world around them. The way of Jesus was different. And this different way is masterfully communicated in Jesus' very famous sermon that's become known as the Sermon on the Mount. So, as we come to this passage, Ali's going to come and read it for us in a moment, but as you come to it, I just want you to come with this understanding in your mind of apprenticeship, of sitting at the feet of the master, of learning, of being a follower, not just labeled as a Christian because you believe certain things, but rather you're a person of action, you are a disciple. And Jesus here paints a picture of how the disciples are to be oh so different. So Alid's going to come and read for us from the Gospel of Matthew. Thanks, Alad. 
Now, you're very familiar with that passage, I'm sure. Jesus uses two very common images to describe how his followers are to be different. He tells them that they are to stand out in society as salt and light. Why salt? Well, you know, Hoover, Electrolux, Zanussi, none of them had been invented at the time, so there was no way of preserving meat other than salting it. And that's what you did to prevent food from decaying. You'd have done it. Did you do this when you were a young girl, Enid? You can't remember. <laughs> My mother used to talk about salting meat to preserve it and burying it in the ground during the war so that when the inspectors came around onto the farm, nobody was any the wiser. Anyway, that's an illustration for another sermon again. So, salt. Salt is an amazing... How many of you like salt? Because we're all told today you must cut down on salt and all this. Yes? Do you... A salty bacon. Oh. I like, my father-in-law is a salt addict. He really is. The food comes to the table. The first thing he does is he reaches for the salt cellar. And he's like, like this. Absolutely amazing. There are some people sat here this morning who've been on our recent Alpha course. I shan't mention them, Frank. But um, they love salt. And, you know, salt is an incredible thing. And salt, it's a funny thing, really, because you don't always see it in food, but when you taste the food, you're like, lacking salt. We all become MasterChef champions, 2018. I think this dish is absolutely delicious. Could do with a bit more seasoning. You said that? I bet you have. Philip, you've said that in a restaurant. I know you have. You know, but you don't necessarily see it in the dish. It's been added beforehand. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's not really seen, but it's impact. Wow. It's unmistakable. And that's the thing. We're called upon to have impact. Jesus is saying, if you're one of my followers, you've got to be like salt in the world. You need to have an impact. People can't see God. God is spirit, but they should sense him because of you. Light, well, Jesus says pretty much the same thing, doesn't he? You're the light of the world. Salt has a powerful, invisible nature to it. But light, light's incredible. Light's awesome. You just need a small light in the darkest place, and it changes everything. Light is the visible presence So salt is sensed, light is seen. And the bottom line for Jesus here in Matthew is that followers of Jesus, the disciples, the apprentices of Jesus, are called to be sensed and seen in the midst of decay and darkness. We don't need to talk too much about decay and darkness, do we? The horrific things that we see happening and unfolding in our news day by day. Stuff this past week down in Gosport War Memorial Hospital. Things that are happening in Syria, in North Korea. We look at these things. Decay is all around us. And you and I, if we are apprentices of Jesus, if we're followers of the way, we are called to work. This is why I want us to get this this morning. Jesus didn't come into this world to simply enhance our lives 
with religious rules. Being a Christian isn't about giving intellectual assent to a few things. It's not about ticking certain boxes. Jesus came to radically revolutionize things. He came to transform our lives, revolutionize them, empower them for something more. He does call us to live differently and to invite us on an incredible journey to follow him for a richer, deeper, more radical, and more meaningful life. I was imagining this week that maybe Jesus today is saying to us, some of you have heard it said before, go to church, read your Bible, tithe, get in a connect group, listen to sermons, serve, but I tell you, surrender your heart to me. Follow me, learn from me. Be my apprentice. Allow me to transform and mold you into my likeness. Would you rather be a Christian or a disciple? Well, look, I know that you want to get home and watch the Grand Prix, but um, I think there are just three very quick things that we need to take on board from this would-you-rather stuff. Because I think this hopefully will stick in our brains and help us during the week and the months and years to come to think seriously about whether we are just having a label on us that says, yes, I'm a Christian, or whether we are actually disciples. Would I rather follow Jesus or just play the part? That's an interesting one. I ask you that in all sincerity. Would you rather follow Jesus or just play the part? Truth is, you can come into church Sunday by Sunday, sit in the pew, be all smiles, mix with people afterwards and have coffee, go out, and none of this impact you. You can play the part. I could be playing the part. That's the truth. I meet many ministers who play the part. Part of my role in the Baptist Union of Wales is to sometimes deal with them for playing the part. This is a question of desire. Playing the part in something is easy, as I will now illustrate. This is me as Superman. It's easy to Photoshop it. It didn't take me very long. Obviously, I just needed to grow my hair a little bit, thin myself, tan. But my muscles are like that, aren't they, Sarah, darling? I love you. <laughs> and you can play the part. You can play the part. You can do that. It's easy. Or is this something more? For some of us, playing the part of being a Christian is coming to church, singing the hymns, using the familiar vocabulary. We've all learned it, haven't we? Brother, sister, saved. Hallelujah. As long as you've got all of that, you can play the part. The question is one of desire. What about following Jesus? On Tuesday, when things don't go well at work. On Wednesday, when relationships at home become strained. Are you going to wear the label Christian, or is following Jesus going to impact you at that moment? There's a big difference. Following Jesus isn't owning a badge. It's giving up ownership 
of our own lives and being in charge of them and asking Jesus to take over. It's saying yes to an apprenticeship. An apprenticeship that's designed to change us, to make us more and more like the master. The call to follow Jesus, to be his apprentice, to be his disciple is so radical. It's so revolutionary. It's so countercultural. It's so different. We see it in the things Jesus said and taught, don't we? You know, if somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek. Somebody takes your shirt, give them your coat. He said, love your enemies, pray for those who hate you. Give to those in need. Give without bragging about it. Before you consider judging others about the speck in their eye, get the plank out of your own. That's radical. Not a badge of honor. Huge cost to following Jesus. And it starts with desire. Am I really drawn to follow Jesus? Would I rather be a Christian or be a disciple? Would you rather wake up in the morning and say, I believe this and I believe that and all's well with the world? Or would you dare to pray up, Jesus, I really want to live for you today. I want you to invade every area of my life. That's my heart's desire, to live for you today, Jesus. Would I rather follow Jesus or just play the part? That's the question of desire. The second question is, would you rather do what's best for you or do what on earth you like? That's a question of decision. Ah, this is a difficult one. This is where it's hard now for you and me, isn't it? Because hmm, this is a daily question. This isn't a, a Sunday morning. He's nearly finished. We can get home. It'll be fine. I hate this question. That's me being honest with you. I hate it. I hate this question because I have some ideas on what I'd like to do. I've got some amazing plans for my life some of which involve you, some of which involve you, you'd be glad to know. But I've got, I've got, you've got it all thought out. I bet many of you have. You've got it all mapped out, how you want to see things. Oh, it's flipping awesome. You look at your future, the exciting plans, comfort that you've built in for yourself. Oh, this is the way you roll. Life is mapped out. It's sweet. Here's the tension. My plans this is the pastor being honest now. Spring from selfishness. That's the truth. They spring from selfishness. And truth be told, I am incredibly selfish. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one in this room who is. But here's the deal. I can honestly stand before you this morning and say, I'm not as selfish as I used to be. Because sitting at the feet of my master... And learning as an apprentice from Jesus, that stuff's being challenged. So I know that if Sarah was asked this morning, in all honesty, whether she sees fundamental changes in me, in my character, in the way that I am, in the way I manage certain mood swings and stuff, she would say, <laughs> yes. And that's come because of my walk with Jesus. He ain't finished with me. I still get it wrong. But as I walk with him, I learn more to be like him. I'm learning from Jesus more about my selfishness 
how to release my plans for what he has for me. Because he knows what's best for me. And that's not always what I would like. And I'm also learning, by the way, that this is so cool. (laughs) Because when I surrender my plans to his plans, blessing comes. That's the incredible thing. As you you get to know Jesus more and more, you you look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and uh, verse 33. This is brilliant. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. He'll give you everything you need. Isn't that amazing? The more I lay down my well-laid plans and everything I've been sorting out, yes, yes, the more I seek after the kingdom and live righteously, he's going to give me everything that I need. A few exegetical points here for you, Sam. Get ready. Preaching her first sermon this afternoon. Pray for her. Look, you see it? Seek the kingdom of God. It's about desire. The kingdom of God, the ways of Jesus. Above my agenda, we've got to seek his agenda. Actions of a disciple, that's about living righteously. The result is he'll give you everything you need, not everything you want. Note that. Hard lesson. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously. It's all about desire, the ways of Jesus, his agenda, my agenda, being a disciple. What does that look like every day for you and me? Well, that's where the rubber hits the road. Jesus says, would you rather serve others in need or be comfortable and serve yourself? Which way are you going to step? When Jesus says, would you rather follow me and forgive that person who wronged you or follow your plans and seek revenge, what are you going to do? Would you rather be a person of integrity who doesn't cheat at work, at college, at school? Or would you rather lie and justify and beat the system so that you can be perceived as better? Which way do you step? Would you rather follow Let Jesus mold you into his likeness? Or would you rather keep losing your temper and yelling at your friends, your parents, your siblings? Here's what a lot of Christians do. They believe in Jesus until following him messes with their plans. They quickly choose their own ways. Is that true for you? Is that the reality as you sit here this morning? Maybe you've worn this badge of Christian, but you can see yourself in that. Because the truth is, when it doesn't go your way, it's like... Most of the pain and heartache that I've experienced in my own life and seen in others as a pastor too is because people choose their way. I choose my way over Jesus' way. So when you combine desire and decision, the result very briefly as we finish this morning is about devotion. The question of devotion is where the rubber hits the road. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking and he says, look, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you can have the badge of Christian, but that's not going to sort you. Only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, 
Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. But we had the badge. I didn't know you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, here's the stuff of Sunday school now. But this is where it applies to adults. Look. Anyone who puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it didn't fall because it had a foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Ah, but I'm a Christian. Yeah, God bless you. But are you a follower of Jesus? Have you built your life on the solid rock? Or have you built on the sand, my friend? As we finish this morning, I want to leave you with one final would you rather. Would you rather be wise or foolish? Not according to my standards, but the standards of Jesus. This isn't about going through the motions. This isn't about acting. This is about sacrifice. It's about building on rock and saying, yeah, Lord, you know best. This isn't about living under any illusion that God should bless me because I've done this and I've done that. And Oh, no, 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 no. We receive God's blessing. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is he doesn't force us to choose. He lovingly and graciously paints a picture of following and says, would you rather? Would you rather be a Christian or a disciple? Do you want to come and be my apprentice and learn from me? Or do you just want a badge? I want to challenge you to a courageous prayer this morning, my friends. A prayer that says, as of today, I want to be a disciple. I want to be an apprentice, a follower of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray.